a lot of them. Ice on me, I'm popping. Try and get like me. All righty. It's official, guys. We're live with Luke Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Do you have, I'm sure you get that right all the time. That's one of my favorite movies. So, Mr. Anderson. Um, episode 34 with uh, Luke, who is one of the co founders of Can, an incredible cannabis RTD, amazing brand, incredible community that they're building. Uh, you guys are, are in Venice, right? Still local to Venice. So neighbors, and uh, appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. It's it's surreal. Uh, I I gotta say, Dream Pops was one of our inspiration brands, uh, and I think as weird and different as our product is, there's a lot of things that uh, our our brands and products share in common uh, that you wouldn't be able to tell from first glance. So it's it's surreal to be here. Big fan of what you built. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think, look, this whimsical, fun, uh, you know, really social product. I definitely see a lot of overlap. Um, just to, you know, get started, uh, Luke, would love to hear a little bit about you, your background, where are you from, and uh, and how did this really uh, come, come to fruition? Yeah, so um, I don't have a cannabis background at all. Um, was never a cannabis person. Had my hands full with alcohol, as I think a lot of us did in our 20s. Um, and one of my best friends, Jake Bullock, he grew up in Colorado. He saw legalization happen at a young age from, you know, just his doorstep. And he had a theory that he started talking to me about when we were both 25. So seven years ago, um, saying that cannabis is not going to be, uh, you know, as it becomes more mainstream, it's not going to be everyone turning into a stoner. It's going to be that it gets integrated into the traditional way of socializing that humans have been doing for thousands of years, which is beverages with mild intoxicants that are microdosed. And at the time, I was like, what? Like, it doesn't even make any sense. Like, I'm not a stoner. I'm never going to drink my weed. This is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Um, and he was like, no, no, think about it. Like, caffeine, coffee and tea, you drink like one or two or three cups, uh, beer, wine, you drink one or two or three cups. It's all about small doses of the active ingredient and socializing with your friends around uh, a drink. And I still like, you know, two margaritas in my hands was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You know, alcohol is my drug of choice and I already have enough problems with it. Why am I going to start adding other drugs that will only probably make you know my life more difficult. Um, fast forward five years, I'm 30. Uh, I'm living in London, working at Bain & Company. Um, Jake is at uh, Stanford Business School. I just finished HBS. And I was working in a practice at Bain, helping consumer packaged goods companies behave more like startups. These, these big companies often take 18 months and many tens of millions of dollars to launch brands that don't work. And, and I was trying to teach them how to narrow the scope, small budget, one store, one product, one geography, and see if it works on $50,000 before blowing, you know, seven, eight digits of money. Um, but I had never done a startup myself. And, and so I had this playbook and I was dialing back five years ago, 
oh, Jake had this brilliant idea, which at the time I thought was dumb, but now that I'm 30 and I've experienced a two day long hangover and I'm starting to realize that alcohol is like he always said, the worst thing we do to our bodies, you know, why don't I give him a call? Gave him a call. was like, what is this microdose THC thing you're talking about? Um, you know, I don't know anything about cannabis. You know a lot about cannabis. We both ha have similar senses of humor, similar taste in things. Um, we, we loved working together. Uh, and, and we said, let's just like, you know, test it out. Let's spend three months building a pitch deck, see if we can raise money. And if we can, then let's just hit go. Um, and after getting 99 no's, it was probably our hundredth pitch meeting where we actually got our first big check. And once it hit the bank, we looked at each other and we we're like, oh shit, this is real. Uh, we, we're, we're gonna start this. And that's really when the, the craziness began. But from a background and idea perspective, uh, you know, it was Jake's brilliant idea. And I, I had more of the like, this is how I would assemble the moving pieces and try to get it to market. Um, and we shared the brand uh, stuff. It was just like, let's, let's design a brand that talks to us like a friend that we want to continue to talk to. And, um, and the rest kind of just continued to happen one day at a time. Can we talk a little bit about some of these big brands and their go-to-markets? Like, I actually don't know if I believe that a craft or a, uh, you know, any large CPG conglomerate, Unilever, Nestle, can go to market and do a test for $50,000. Were there any standouts or interesting um, case studies that you could share from that? Yeah, actually two that, that were really successful. Um, and it's not the idea that you can actually bring a product to market on $50,000 in full. It is the, the playbook is get eight people, different functions, like get a finance person, a brand person, a salesperson, a marketing person, um, a, a, you know, an ops person in a room and spend eight hours of uninterrupted time, five days a week and blast through obstacles by chunking them in as small and as solvable of problems as you can. And then you know, narrow the scope enough so that your definition of victory is like, can we get data that proves that this product is viable in a tiny context, like one store, one, um, you know, geography and two case studies that were really successful for us. And there were some where we just the answer was, nope, not viable, uh, were there was a perfume company that was trying to test and see the efficacy of certain types of brand messaging to a certain target audience in Hamburg, Germany. And the way that we ran that project and what we learned from it, you know, deeply impacted the entire corporate engines product launch strategy and saved them tens of millions of dollars in mistakes. But it was just like, okay, you know, what did we learn from this one retailer about how this perfume speaks to millennial women? Um, another case study was what can we learn about how to effectively launch a, a vape company in London and who are we speaking to and what kinds of things are, are they going to want to hear over email? And we did like ABC testing to understand which things would get opened and which things would convert better. And, you know, that had an impact on every product in this big tobacco company's arsenal. Um, so they, they were little tiny projects, but on $50,000, you can get answers that save you tens of millions.
Right. Plus the value that creation that you're personally getting on, on basically iterating on new ideas within a huge entity. Um, it's, it's probably a very interesting way to kind of think about taking a new concept to market. Um, so, okay. You guys are really excited about this, this idea. You've you got your first check. Um, you know, where, how do you even begin to navigate the complexities, regulatory hurdles, cash, uh, management, because I, I I personally am not educated enough, but there's so many obstacles uh, to to building any THC related product. Where did you guys even get started there? Same same thing is uh, what we did with these big CPG companies in Europe is just like narrow it to whatever's immediately in front of you at the time, and so long as you are uncompromising on your product values and the the idea um and aren't swayed down many different paths you can you can get you know a, an amazing amount done in in a few months um for us i think the enabling factor was that uncompromising idea of it's a two milligram beverage we're going to sell six of them at a time just like you would buy you know a six pack of alcohol and Let's pick, you know, one retailer. For us, it was MedMen. One city, Los Angeles. Three flavors, and we'll even do two of each flavor so that it's only one skew. And I think even though a number of investors were like, "Well, come on, shouldn't you be also launching a CBD drink?" or you know, "Come on, the the dispensary wants ten milligram, hundred milligrams of THC, not two milligrams." Um, we just kept saying no to anything that was in our peripheral vision and said, "Okay." Does it help us bring a microdose THC beverage in a six pack to market in MedMen in Los Angeles in six months? And if the answer is no, we just said we'll forget about it. Um, by canceling the noise, you can save so much time and just encounter one obstacle at a time. For, for us, the biggest ones were nobody had ever made a microdose THC beverage in an aluminum can before. And there's so many science problems related to keeping the dosage consistent, keeping the uh, aluminum and the THC from interacting with the different types of can liners that you use. Um, you know, lab testing wasn't very good, and we had no idea that we could reliably get a two milligram dosage when lab error was plus or minus thirty percent, and the regulatory uh, the regulations that you can only be within plus or minus ten percent. So it was you know, I, there was no real grand plan or there, there, there were a bunch of post-it notes on the wall, but they were all really micro. And every week we just took stock of what obstacles we removed from our path. And as long as we were removing obstacles and staying focused on this singular goal of six months, one store, one SKU launch, we just kept, you know, taking it as it came. No question. No question. And um, what about the direct to consumer approach? Because a lot has happened since your 2019 with regards to different companies. You know, I think one is flower shop ease, um, all these different opportunities now to sell direct to consumer. Did those exist when you started and what are you guys tapping into now? So there's three different channels for the regulated cannabis industry. There's brick and mortar retail, there's delivery, um, brick and mortar retail like MedMen, delivery, pure plays like Ease, and then there is D2C, which is a newer and more emerging channel. 
the tough part about cannabis, I mean, there's a million tough things about cannabis, no interstate commerce. You have to build a manufacturing facility for every state that you're in, which is just crazy, impossible. Um, but you also can't own the consumer because we don't have a cannabis license and we don't have our own stores and we can't sell direct. We have to rely on partners who have cannabis licenses to do it. One of the reasons why cannabis has been slower to evolve as an industry is there's such inconsistent skew availability um, and there is no brand loyalty because the brands don't own the customer. Uh, what some players are starting to do and, and Flower Co is one of them, um, Grass Door is another, is offer a brand the ability to have a white label solution where like a Shopify site, you can own the customer but have it fulfilled by a courier who you know, is also fulfilling a number of other cannabis orders from different brands. Um, that new business model that has emerged, it really changes the game for brands in cannabis because when you own the customer, they're not gonna wanna switch to a different type of gummy or a different type of drink. They're gonna wanna continue to hear your marketing messages, continue to remain in your brand ecosystem and, and continue to fall deeper and deeper in love with your product and become loyal. Can you explain the white label thing that you, is there a separate white label can product or is the white label platform? White label is the platform. So uh, what you'll see on our website is a link that says shop. You'll go to shop.drinkcan.com if you want to buy the product in California. And even though it's our interface and it's all of our visuals, it's actually hosted by and served by a different company entirely. We're not a plant touching entity and it makes it easier for us to operate as a business because we don't actually physically engage with the cannabis itself. Um, and then on the back end, physically engaged, meaning distribute or cause you do man, you self manufacture, correct? We, even though we built our first manufacturing facility and we are very involved in the manufacturing process, it's actually a partner that does it. Um, we, we do not manufacture or distribute or sell our, our product. We rely on partners and we have to pay them in order to take the cannabis, process it, manufacture it into finished goods, distribute it, and get it into retailers and customers' hands for us. So very similar to a three-tiered system where there are certain things that you can opt into. So are you a brand? Is that how you describe You're not a manufacturer, you're not a distributor, or are you just a brand? Just a brand marketing brand interesting I love but at the same time you no know, at the same time you're obviously so much more than that but i'm saying more like from a regulatory standpoint how does that work because i just don't know it yes yeah. from a regulatory standpoint we're a brand but we are holding because no, there's never been a product like us before we're writing the book and with our partners literally holding hands building mis manufacturing facilities you know, learning how to distribute, learning how to sell at retail. And, and we have relationships that are deep and collaborative every single step of the value chain. Is there a name for this system? I mean, I think the three tiers- you, you gotta name it, man. You're pioneering it. One day we'll come up with a name, but I, I like, um, am I allowed to swear on LinkedIn Live? Yes. Hey, clusterfuck. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, I, dude, I find it so interesting. And I'm about to bring up a pretty, uh, you know, controversial slash exciting question for you. Um, what's happening with psilocybin? I'd be curious if Can's looking at it. Um, that's an entirely new um, 
opportunity, these legal forms of, of strains of it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, and if can might ever foray into other products? Well, can is a brand from a regulatory perspective. We license our IP and formulation for cannabis beverages at present, but as a company, we are a next generation social beverage company. And that encompasses all things that you can drink. I think that we will sooner launch, you know, low ABV versions of can or completely sober friendly versions of can or microdose psilocybin versions of can when the time comes, um, then do something like uh, that does not fit with our brand identity and is within cannabis. So I've, you know, not been super familiar with the science, uh, but if it evolves anything like the cannabis industry, I believe that psilocybin is right now at the same place as cannabis was in Colorado when Jake was watching it from, you know, his teenage home. Um, it, it'll start with- You think it's like five years, five years ago where cannabis was, that's where psilocybin is. Yeah, five to 10. And, and it's a little trickier because psilocybin can be very dangerous. Cannabis, you know, like you get really high, you just sit in the couch, you're fine. Um, you know, I, I have taken too much psilocybin at one point in my life and I was actually hospitalized. Um, yeah. If you go way too far with a psilocybin psychedelic drug, um, it, it changes your brain chemistry to the point that you can become dangerous to yourself and other people. Wow. So there, there are more risks with that. There are also really powerful healing properties with psilocybin. People are able to process trauma. And, and more importantly, there is a super obvious subculture of recreational microdosing that is happening, you know, in the queer community, in the like Los Angeles, New York party scene. People are more commonly asking, where is the mushroom chocolate? Or does anyone have a little bit of mushrooms for me to eat? Then asking, where's the white claw? And, it, you know, it starts on the coasts and it starts in, in queer subculture, at least from my vantage point, And it eventually becomes mainstream over time, just like, you know, controversial topics like gay marriage. It's only a matter of time before people understand the limits to which something is, you know, not dangerous and, and begin to integrate it into society safely. Um, so, you know, microdose mushroom seltzers, I don't think it's that crazy. Definitely. Definitely. Can you talk a little bit about, um, I'm just curious on my end with hangovers, right? You really are like an alternative and solving for, uh, the, the pain that comes with the hangover. Can you just on a high level walk through, you know, the science of a hangover and how this doesn't result in anything even remotely close to that? Uh, I can't walk through the science, but I can walk through the emotional feeling <laughs> and the, the parts of it that, while I can't speak to it scientifically, yeah. um, that are really important for a product like Can to solve. And by the way, Can is not only a hangover preventer. If you have a night drinking Can instead of alcohol, you will not be hungover the next day. Right. But if you do have an overindulgent alcohol night, you can use a Can the next day to chase the hangover away. So, um, you know, hangovers are probably the most salient problem with drinking. Uh, the, the number of people that Google, can you die from a hangover is so funny and, and it's, you know, like a, a, a joke, but it's also a really dark, scary feeling. You're like, my body feels unwell. I'm unable to do anything productive. And you waste an entire Sunday in physical pain, in mental pain, in emotional regret 
over what you did the prior night and what you may or may not remember. And, and that, that's dark. And if you think about the number of people that are hung over every Sunday and the number of collective hours that are wasted unproductively, uh, as a good friend of mine in business school used to say, um, eating hangover shame spiral ice cream and watching Netflix, rather than like thinking about what you could be doing to live, it's, it's a problem. Imagine if you took those hours and put them into any anything. Like what, how much that would change your life. Like I, I myself, like I've had those experiences where it's like, man, I've lost an entire day or two now. Cause I'm, you know, older and I can't, can't hang with the youngsters. Yeah. Um, with, with that being said, you know, is that just a combination of dehydration, your liver process? Like, I, I mean, obviously I don't, I, we don't need to go into the science there, but but what about, you know, the idea of like, isn't there like a green hangover that sometimes people talk about from like smoking or cannabis? What, what is that? Yeah, I mean, we say that you can't get a hangover from can in the alcohol sense. But, you know, you take too much THC and you could be foggy the next day. Um, it is a mind altering. It's a psychoactive substance. And there's always a come down period from any psychoactive substance. The cannabis one is, is just more tolerable. Um, and does not make you feel as physically unwell. You just feel maybe a little bit like, I'm not operating at my absolute mental sharpest. Maybe my memory and word recall isn't perfect, but it's temporary. Um, the stuff with alcohol, while I don't know the science, like it does impact your liver function. It does impact your brain cell death. It, it, you know, the, the dehydration piece of it is so real. You get an IV from some random person who shows up at your house for $200. Yeah. And, and that is apparently a way to solve that problem. No, just drink less and, and maybe, you know, replace some of that with cannabis. You'll have just as much fun. So what have been some of your guys' biggest challenges with scaling and building this brand? Consumer education is number one. This product is something that 80% of American adults not only want, but need. Uh, a great beverage daily survey from a couple of years ago said 21 out of 25 American adults want to drink less alcohol. Um, and there's also this like cannabis curious movement where, you know, some studies show 60% of people are curious about cannabis, but don't know where to start. And for something that is such a universal set of problems with a major intersection point, a lot of people that want to drink less alcohol are curious about cannabis, but don't know the difference between THC and CBD. Don't know, you know, how high is too high? What's a milligram? What's a terpene? Um, and there's so much pseudoscience around different parts of the cannabis ecosystem that I think a lot of people accidentally went to CBD first and said, this is like diet weed. This is like more approachable THC. I, absolutely not. CBD cannot get you high. Yeah, can, we, can I hear your thoughts on the CBD movement versus THC and hemp extract versus full spectrum? Like, talk to me about your thoughts on CBD and the CB, the, all the CBD brands that are you know, kind of in the ecosystem. I think that CBD is a very, very powerful um, health supplement. Uh, you know, but I think that it's just as powerful of, of a health supplement as uh, spirulina or any number of, of you know, superfoods like goji berries. Um, there are things that will promote 
you know, relaxation and um, have the ability to bind to receptors in your brain that while they don't give you a, a real like physiological, I'm feeling this undeniably like you do from getting high, um, they are very helpful in, in other ways. Do you but, feel that benefit when you're drinking? Because I I just have this like there's like a hot debate with my closest friends. Either people are all in CBD, they love it, or others just think it's they they, they don't really feel much. I mean, some people are all in spirulina as well. But right. I, I, think about it this way: there have been hemp shops around the country for decades. Like we all remember as a young kid, like wandering around a street corner with a parent and seeing like a pot leaf in a store. And it's, it's a hemp store. There's topicals, there's soaps, there's full spectrum, like oils, there's tinctures. Why was that never, you know, crowded? Why, why were people not like rushing in and out of that store? Um, I, I believe that to some degree, the CBD market is a bubble. It's a fad. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of it is just pent up curiosity about cannabis and, and not knowing where to start. Um, there are amazing things that if you look into the science, like a, a uh, what is it? Epilepsy patient, somebody who's experiencing seizures with thousand milligram doses of CBD that are derived from the cannabis plant um, are able to reduce some really harmful effects uh, that the body is exhibiting during that um, episode. And, and so I believe that, that CBD is powerful. I just believe that most of the people who reached for CBD were like, oh my God, this is my you know, entry point into cannabis. And a lot of them, if you look at the Google Trends data, search interest in CBD, it peaked a couple of years ago and it's been tanking ever since. Um, it, it's, it's not you know, cannabis. It, it is it is a non-psychoactive form of the cannabis family. And if you're looking for a safe place to start with cannabis, drink a can. You, you will actually feel a little bit of an effect and it's not gonna drive you crazy. Um, and I think a lot of people were looking for what we offer in, in a, a CBD product, but maybe we're disappointed because like you and your friends debate, you know, do you really feel anything? Like, is it a long-term effect? Am I less anxious? Um, one thing's for sure, two milligrams of THC, you'll just feel a little high. <laughs> That's true. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, it's really interesting. There's so many brands that hit the market, especially two, three years ago. Um, however, still facing a ton of, of, of hurdles to like scale into retail. I think retailers, do you know what, what, what the deal is with retailers and full, full spectrum versus hemp extract versus what's allowed? So, I mean, full spectrum uh, is in the CBD community almost universally viewed as better than hemp uh, isolate. And it's because it's more natural. It's because it's more comprehensive. Um, it, you know, just like uh, not from concentrate juices are better than concentrated juices. Got it. Uh, but to me, I, you know, I don't really notice the difference between either of them because I'm not a, a big uh, consumer. Um, I think that cannabis derived CBD is interesting because it does have, uh, you know, some incidental THC sometimes depending on how you source it. And if you have a thousand milligrams of cannabis derived CBD, and let's say it's 0.3% THC, and you can actually sell that, um, or, or I think it's, you can sell industrial hemp, um, which may contain up to 0.3% THC in grocery stores that are not scared of it. 
Um, although the FDA is is kind of telling people to pump the brakes in some big grocery chains like Whole Foods, I think have taken more aggressive stances on not incorporating. Is this kind of comparable to like a, a kombucha with some uh, lower AC uh, alcohol levels in the future? Like, do you think that that's where retail will go? Yes, I think squarely. Yes. The, the problem is the way it's regulated, CBD is okay, but THC is stuck in the dispensary. But if you get a thousand milligram hemp CBD product, there may be three milligrams of THC in that tincture. And you can buy that at a grocery store, no problem. But a can, which has two milligrams of THC, yeah, that's crazy. That's you can't buy. And, and you know if you look at the alcohol industry, beer and wine has its own type of licenses. Liquor has its own type of licenses. It's split by potency. You know, there's over-the-counter drugs and there's prescription drugs that are stronger. I think that over-the-counter cannabis should be less than 2.5 milligrams of THC. So not dangerous. Doesn't matter where it comes from. That's what I expect to see on the shelf of Whole Foods in in five years after the uh, you know decriminalization and legalization wave happens. What's that look like over the net? How how do you get there? What needs to happen from a federal perspective? A lot of things. I think the most important thing facing the cannabis in terms of legalization right now is actually social equity and social justice. There is no way that cannabis should be federally legal unless all criminal records related to cannabis crimes are expunged. And even locally, some of the new, newly legalized markets like New Jersey are not handling it well, are not being mindful of the fact that this entire legal industry is built off of you know, mass incarceration of black and brown people. Um, the the federal legalization wave and this industry being more efficient cannot happen until at first it is decriminalized and legalized locally in ways that allow space for black and brown cannabis entrepreneurs and give them the opportunity to benefit from you know this industry. Uh, but people aren't doing that yet. So first step is that. Uh, and then the second step is decriminalization uh, nationally. And then the third step is legalization, which would allow for interstate and cross-border commerce between California and Nevada or California and New England, which will allow for a more more, uh, efficient manufacturing landscape and costs to be driven down and, you know, cannabis to be more affordable to everybody. Um, But I think it's a five-year game. I think that at that point, when we have a you know, massively federally legal cannabis ecosystem, you can then think, well, wait a minute, what is over-the-counter cannabis that belongs in a grocery store look like? And yeah. our belief is that you know, it's can. It's a two milligram THC product that sits right in between hard kombucha and spiked seltzer uh, in, in the fridge. Um, it's not any more dangerous. It's probably a lot less dangerous. We just don't know how to think about it yet. So interesting, man. I, I mean, I, I, if you would have asked people five, 10 years ago, there are a lot of people that are very long on, on legalization, even just where, where the industries come now with a med men down the street. Um, pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Um, so right now, uh, another question is w- with regards to marketing, are you guys held back with what you can post and share? Um, I know there were issues with that a few years ago, but you guys are obviously on Instagram. So how does that work? Yeah, we, I mean, cannabis brands are allowed to be on Instagram. You have to be filtered for 21 plus. You have to be careful about how you talk about the brand. Um, we push boundaries. We, we really make uh, everything as, as close to the limit as possible. 
um, and we get creative. Like you're not allowed to market cannabis and alcohol together, but we have a, you know, a celebrity investor, Kate Hudson, who has a vodka company and she's just like mixing can cranberry sage with vodka. And she's like, screw it. Like who, who cares if it's a, you know, microdose THC plus alcohol. And we'll post something cheeky on our Instagram being like, we're not allowed to, you know, advertise cannabis and alcohol together, but we're just showing you what Kate Hudson's doing. Uh, <laughs> and, and the trickiest part about it is we can't do paid ads in the traditional sense because, you know, those are governed by publicly traded companies like Google, Facebook, uh, and, and we can't run afoul of their policies. I, I think that we have pushed even those boundaries in a clever way. Adweek just wrote up a piece about a holiday campaign we did where we did paid Instagram ads, but we didn't mention our product. We didn't have our brand anywhere. We just had some beautiful GIFs and images showing what we feel emotionally when we drink a can. And we led them to a landing page that says, do you want to feel this? Well, you know, in a week we'll, you know, send you an email about it. Um, and so there, there are clever ways that you can go around it at this point, but it does make growth harder. You know, we can't just, you know, blast things about can all over the place. Um, we're lucky we've got 15 celebrity investors right now and they will, because they are part owners of the business, we don't have to pay them. They just, you know, share it freely on their Instagram. And when they do it, you know, we've got 40,000 Instagram followers. Like nobody's really listening to us, but when they do it, people listen to them. And the people that listen and care enough, they enter our ecosystem organically. And, and I think it's allowed us to build a, a, a bit of a cult following um, in this, like, if you know, you know, kind of way. Um, and, and we've leaned on people that have bigger audiences than us um, and their organic love for the product to do it. Totally, totally. Um, well, Luke, I'm very appreciative. I have a couple quick questions just to wrap up. So thanks. Thank you again for making the time. Um, I have one quick question for you. Yes. When are we going to do a Dream Pops can flavor collab? Because we got to do it. We got lemon, it. lemon lavender uh, Dream Pop would be real good. We don't even have to put cannabis in it. Dude, we need to, we need to do a can Dream Pop or Dream Bite. Um, we got to figure out the right, the proper collapse. We'll have to have to connect offline and, and get it done. Cool. I'd love to do that. Um, yeah. The, 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 just as we wrap up, um, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs who want to build businesses in the cannabis space? Don't do it. It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Um, look at me. I look like a crazy person. I, um, hair is sick. I need, I need a, I need a, maybe um, no, I mean, I've like, I, it's been, it's been the two craziest years of my life. I've lost touch with all my friends. I, my family is like, are you still alive? Um, I, um, it's been the most excruciatingly challenging thing. Being an entrepreneur, even in an unregulated in industry is enough to break somebody into a million pieces. There's nothing glamorous about it. Um, it, it. It's the advice I would give is fly eyes wide open and know that you have to give up almost everything else in your life. Like, you know, my marriage is hanging by a thread. My husband's also an entrepreneur, which makes it worse. Um, and, and, and so you have to just know that it will, if you want to be successful, you have to do it 150% of the time that you have. And you're going to fail every week and it's going to suck. And you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I the dumbest person in the entire world for doing this? But if you just like, it's, it's just a, an exercise in willpower. If you just, just, just to back up really quickly, because 
I, I hear this all the time. So many founders say don't do it, but like I hate, I personally can't, I, I disagree with that because no, I, I know you love what you do and I, I know do. what you guys are building is so powerful, yeah. but with a, taking it with a grain of salt because just just that that awareness that they, there's going to be, most days are going to suck, but but like you would correct me if I'm wrong, Luke, like what you guys are doing is incredible. Would you change it? Would you rather be back at I would Jake and I talk about this all the time. We wouldn't change it for the world and we wouldn't even change anything that we did. Maybe a couple of things on the margin, but even our biggest flame out mistakes, we learned so much. Um, and if I didn't scare you away when I said, don't do it, then you should do it because it is life's greatest gift to bring something that doesn't exist into the world and, and hear from people who say, I love, I love this product. I, I, it brings me joy. Um, and, and if you're not afraid, you will be successful. Couple of tiny pieces of advice, raise twice as much money as you think you need, yep. raise enough money to get through 12 months. So you don't need to be fundraising simultaneously while running the business, because those are two full-time jobs. Um, and then be specific about what you want to do. And like I said earlier, keep the blinders on. Everyone's going to have an opinion, make something that you love and that you would buy. And then find other people that are like you. I love that. And and I didn't mean to like attack it. I just know I know how powerful what you guys are building is. And so mm -hmm. I don't I, I it's important to discourage people who are half pregnant and part, like not giving I'm I'm a purist. If you're gonna do this, you're all in. But it's it's a sacrifice and it it's is. not the headlines in TechCrunch and Forbes and Entrepreneur. It's eating shit most of the time. Um so yeah. yeah. Uh, you should do, to be clear, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you should do it. But if you're scared of failure, don't. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that, Luke. It's awesome. And uh, you know, just just to wrap up, what uh, where where, where is Can headed in the next 12, 24 months? Where can we buy it? Anything exciting that you can share with us uh, as a final plug? Yeah. Just follow us on Instagram. Uh, we're a friend. We're not a brand. It, you'll get all the latest updates about what we're doing, what new products are coming out, where we're going. Um, you know, I, I can't share too many details, but we will be launching the Midwest soon enough. Awesome. Uh, we expect to have bigger coverage in the Northeastern US by the end of this year. And we've got 24 flavors that we formulated that are so freaking good and we just can't figure out you know how to bring them to market fast enough so what you get with can is like an unending array of delicious tasting drinks and the best is yet to come dude that was that was amazing i can't wait to try all 24 pumped luke you're the man thanks again have, have a great weekend all right <laughs> Thanks so much.